Yo, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Most of Low Budget Movie Reviews. I am your host, Clarence. Thank you for tuning in. Marvel has decided to kick off Phase 5 with another movie in the Ant-Man series. This one is called Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. As you guys know, I go into these movies baggage free. I don't have any opinions on them. Uh, I kind of put that to the side as I'm watching it. And I just judge what they give me on the screen. But I have to admit, I'm not really, I wasn't really super excited to see this one. And that was for two reasons. One, Ant-Man is just okay to me. I mean, the other two movies were entertaining enough. Didn't have a problem with them. But I'm just not that impressed with them. I mean... It's a dude in a suit that ultimately, no matter how creative they try to be, all he does is get big or shrink, and that ain't all that impressive to me. I'm sorry. I always felt like the one movie was fine to introduce the character, but after that, he should have been playing more of a side character, a side role in other people's movies. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp just are not characters that can carry a whole movie to me. But the second reason, and more importantly... Phase 4 was pretty mediocre. I mean, I won't get into the details of all the movies again. I've done that in past episodes. In fact, you can go back and listen to my reviews on all of the Phase 4 movies, with the exception of Eternals. I don't think I reviewed that one here, but a quick review, it wasn't very good. So, out of the seven movies in Phase 4, uh, Shang-Chi, Spider-Man, and Black Panther, all those were really good. Uh, probably Shang-Chi and Spider-Man. I probably like those better than Black Panther. But anyway, Black Widow and Doctor Strange were just okay to me. I expected more from Doctor Strange for sure. Uh, and Black Widow, she was already dead, so it felt weird for them to even release that movie the way they did. Um, but the aforementioned Eternals and the biggest disappointment to me was Thor, Love and Thunder. That was, yeah, that I just wasn't feeling that one at all. So, Three out of the seven movies left me kind of jaded. And then they decided to start with Ant-Man, which, like I said, is a mid-character at best to begin with. But maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh on it. Maybe. But let's get into what this one is about. Now, we start out in the quantum realm with a D.H. Michelle Pfeiffer. Spoiler free. I'm not even going to talk about any of that. Then we see Scott Ant-Man enjoying life promoting his book that he just wrote. However, his daughter wants him to do more to help people, while Scott is kind of content on his past accomplishments with the Avengers. Now, one night, you know, at dinner at home with the whole family, Cassie, Scott's daughter, decides to reveal what she's been working on. It's some kind of tool to map the quantum realm. However, the way she designed it causes a major problem, and spoiler-free, it causes all of them to be sucked into the quantum realm. And that's where I'll stop, because from there, they get separated, and they try to find each other and get back home. However, there are rumblings from the other people down there that, you know, there's this guy that's ruling over everyone, and he's actually looking for someone in their group. So what did the pros think? Well... They didn't really like this one at all. They came in at a 49% on the rotten scale on 216 reviews with the audience at 84% on 500 reviews. But what did I think? Well, let's start with the positives. 
Now, it had that usual Ant-Man type humor, which I've always enjoyed. It doesn't take itself too seriously, which is good. I mean, it's kind of a running joke that people don't really know who he is or confuse him with one of the other Avengers. So we get that self-deprecating humor, which, you know, is always good if you do it right. And uh, just the thought of one of the least popular Avengers writing a book is kind of funny. And, you know, the setup is good. I mean, they teased the Quantum Realm a bunch in other movies, and now we get to spend a whole movie there, and they really created quite the universe. In fact, I would say the environment and some of the colorful side characters are a big focal point of this besides, you know, Ant-Man and everybody else kind of just blend into this whole mix of things. The action sequences are fine. More on that later. Uh, But let me get to the real star of this movie, which was Kang the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors, who's kind of been on a little bit of a run lately. Uh, He's very charismatic as the villain here, and he has this aura about him that kind of eats up everybody else's energy (laughs) in the scene that he's with. So he's really good. And when he wasn't on the screen, I was wondering, where is he, and what is he up to, and when is he coming back? Because I really enjoyed his performance. I wish we could have learned more about him here. Uh, You know, and this is spoiler free. I'm sure that's coming down the road if you know anything about the movie schedule. Which, again, if you don't know, I'm not going to spoil it for you here. But I will say it's pretty obvious that he's going to play a major role in some of the upcoming movies. But that leads me to my negatives. If you thought the God Butcher from uh, Thor Love and Thunder was a wasted villain in that movie... You're going to feel the same way here. I actually hate that they introduced the character this way. He's going to play this huge role in the rest of the MCU, especially in some movies that are coming out in 2025, if you go look at the schedule. You see, Kang is powerful, like really powerful. Uh, The comic book people know what I'm talking about, but for those unfamiliar, to put it in perspective... Kang is more powerful than Thanos, and you saw what it took to bring Thanos down. So, how in the world does it make sense for Ant-Man, the Wasp, and his daughter, none of them who have any real superpowers at all, to take down a being that has literally destroyed worlds and whole timelines? So, yeah... They completely wasted him here because they really can't let him wild out and do his thing because he could destroy them with ease. So we get this scaled back version that only alludes to how strong he is. And that's one reason I didn't really care for the ending. And I'm not talking about what I know about King to be. They built him up in this movie to be all powerful and this super being and to just end the way it did. Yeah, I'm not really buying that. Now, the whole fight scene and the whole little final battle thing, it felt like they were going for something epic like Avengers Endgame. And this one felt just like a bunch of special effects. Like this was all done in post-production. Which is the same for Endgame. I know a big chunk of that was post-production, but it felt like a real battle and actually had some weight to it. Watching this... Half the time, I wasn't even sure what I was really looking at. So it was just a bunch of side characters I knew nothing about. And they were there primarily for laughs. And now we're seeing them fight. And some of them have powers and things. And I have no idea what's going on. But again, I don't want to beat this one up too much. Did I enjoy it? 
and I know it sounded there like the end. I was kind of trashing it, but yeah, I did enjoy it. I mean, it's fine. I give it a 75% on the rotten scale. Uh, I think the critics are kind of on superhero comic book fatigue right now, and they really wanted something different, which I can totally understand. But again, I can only judge what they gave me on the screen. And even though it's flawed and falls short of what I was hoping for, they delivered on a fresh new world with some entertaining characters, nice effects, had a decent story, a great new villain, and some okay battles. And it dropped some major clues in the end credits uh, where things are going in the future. Uh, one other thing before I close, and um, I want to say Disney is getting pretty close, if they haven't already, to going too far and saturating things. At this point, they're adding all these shows on Disney Plus, and they play a role into the movies as well. So they're expecting me to make this huge time investment to watch all these shows that are six, eight episodes, and then the movies, or else I'm going to be out of the loop for some of these references and things that go on. For example, the end credit here makes reference to a Disney show I haven't seen yet, so I have no idea what this scene was about. So it was it heavy. Was it important? So it really didn't have any impact on me. Cause I didn't even really know what, you know, they were referencing. They need to be careful with that. They're going to risk losing, uh, the more casual fans out there. Cause if they feel like, you know, they're getting lost and not really understanding what's going on, they'll be like, well, what's the point in watching this? So, um, if you love the MCU, I get it. Of course, you're going to go out and watch this, but, for the casual fan, I don't know. You might want to wait and watch this on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if this is really a full-price movie if you're just a casual fan of the MCU. Uh, but with that being said, I'll close it out right here. If this is your first time, don't make it your last. This has been a Pod Bean production, mostly low-budget movie reviews with Clarence. I'm up on all streaming platforms now, Apple, Spotify, everywhere just everywhere so wherever you listen to your music or your podcast you will find me there as well i will definitely be back again this weekend with at least one other movie uh of a streaming variety i think uh i don't know if there's the other movie i'm thinking about is out yet or came out this weekend i'll have to check so so we'll see You'll have to come back for the next episode and see what I am watching. Again, I appreciate the support, and I will see you guys next time. Peace.